Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. As we reflect on a rather unique Australian Open in 2021, a chaotic tournament, uh, we are going to speak to a member of one of the tennis families here in Western Australia who's had a fascinating life uh, growing up uh, in the goldfields, uh, carved out a career on the professional tennis circuit, arguably an even better career uh, as a coach and has worked with some of the biggest names, not just in tennis, but right across the sporting world. And that is no understatement, I promise you, uh, as we uh, try to get through the many adventures of Rob Kildary. Hello, Rob. Welcome to Inspiring Hi, Stories. Hi, Tim. How are you? Going all right, thanks. What about you? Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a start. <laughs> um, we've just drawn the curtain on another Australian Open. Right. Uh, you know, a tournament that at one point, you know, maybe wasn't going to happen. It, yeah. it has finally happened. There was a lot of chaos, a lot of off-field mm. drama and players, quarantine, all the rest mm. of it. Um, as someone who's been in and around the game for some time, many decades, um, your reflections on, you know, on, on, on tennis and the, and the conduct of players and all of that, obviously it was very different in your day. What do you make of the current professional tennis circuit and the way it, it goes about itself? Yeah, there's a few situations which, or particularly that one where the girl took 10 minutes break. I mean, mm. that, that, I think that drew a lot of comment from a lot, a lot of people in tennis. But I've got to say that Craig Tiley, the tournament director of the Australian Open, is incredible. I mean, if he pulls this off, he probably can give business speech lunches for the rest of his life <laughs> yeah. without working anywhere, you know, because... Yeah. My son works with him, and uh, Paul's just saying he's just unbelievable. Yeah. The work he's put in. And the, yeah, the disappointing part when some of these players criticise and their own countries are just full of COVID and they're losing first round and they get a hundred grand for losing first round. And when I played, I got a free Coke on the change events. <laughs> so work that out, you know. <laughs> you born uh, in the wrong time, Rob. Yeah, well, they had a Coke machine on the side of the court and that was the last 16 in the Australian. So I'm trying to work out, it would have been worth at least a half a mil, wouldn't I? So, <laughs> no, that's um, it, it's different. And uh, I think there's a lot of players, though, on the same thing, Tim, that really appreciate what they put on because uh, I know Paul's been a tournament director for a losing, uh, or a sort of a... Uh, Players that lost, mm. the women have gone into another tournament uh, and played that off as well. So yeah. they've had a lot of tennis. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the the prize money around the game now, the the schedule that they have to to keep, the pressures on them. Uh, you know, if you had your time again, would you still like to have been a, a professional tennis player in you know the twenty twenties? Yeah. Well, I was trying to be, I was trying to be a professional player, but. When I played, there was no money at all. Yeah. Unless you're in the Davis Cup squad, or pick another sport because um, you know you drive to the Australian Open, you don't fly, you pay your own accommodations. There's no prize money. Yeah. As I've said, there's a can of coke can on the change events, but <laughs> that 
Um, and if you're in the top six and you're in the Davis Cup squad, there was some dollars there somewhere. Yeah, but still but not many though, huh? No, I think it was a not little bit. Lucrative. Might have been a little bit in the back pocket too, Tim. I'm right. not sure. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but but by the same token, you talk about behaviour of players. I mean, when I was playing Rod Laver, Roy Emerson, Ashley Cooper, they were terrific people. Yeah. Um, and you can go through them all. In fact, I think at one the year I played the Australian 1962, I think eight of the top ten were Australians. Mm. And they used to make up a separate draw where they'd put, they'd seed the foreign seeds. Uh, uh, number one foreign would play number eight Australian mm. and down the draw. And they'd mm. place the draw. And... Uh, but the Aussies were just um, and terrific people. Mm. I mean, just great people. Yeah. Fascinated to learn that you pretty much taught yourself how to play tennis. Yeah, I, I don't think I was the only one that did that, Tim, because in, in my day, the, I think that's what drove me through my coaching career. I wanted to learn about how to play shots better. Yeah. And there was no information. There was no, yeah. Like Hoppy was great for working, working you hard, but in terms of technical knowledge... When, when you say Hoppy, you're talking about Harry, Harry Holland. Hoppen, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you dropped that into general conversation like we all know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, about. yeah, sorry. <laughs> but um, he wasn't a technician and I was a consultant to Nick Bolletieri's Tennis Academy through Mark McCormack later yeah. in life. And Nick was not a technician. Uh, but he would, he taught you how to play the game, you mm. know, how to play. But there again, when you're 15 upwards or 14, 15, unless your technique's finished... Well, you're in trouble. Mm. You can't be learning how to serve at 16, 17. Mm. Too late. So in my day, you, in Boulder, we hit... I went to Kilgrady Convent when I was seven as a mm -hmm. boarder. And sorry, just pause it. Like seven years old going into a boarding school environment. Yeah. They probably seemed quite normal yeah, to you at the time. We, you didn't know any, any other way. But yeah. reflecting on it now, that must have, that must have been pretty, well, pretty I, harsh. I don't mind saying, but my father was an alcoholic mm. and... My mum was a barmaid at the recreation hotel in Boulder and she worked late hours. We never knew when he'd get home. Yeah. Sometimes you come home in the milk cart with his bike in the mornings, but uh, but basically What did and what did Dad do? What what Well that meant that what did you do in Boulder? We were home on our own. Yeah. Like no T V but had a radio there. But and so mum decided that we probably for our benefit go to Kilgardy Comet as boarders, which we did. And we'd catch the train from Kalgoorlie and we'd go to, go to the convent, come home once a month for the weekend. And, uh, but the nuns were fantastic there. They, you walk in, there's a racket. Mm. Hit a thousand on the wall. You know, so, so that's where you started yeah, hitting yeah, balls. Yeah, we hit yeah. balls, hit balls every day. Yeah. And, uh, and the nuns loved tennis, so that was... Yeah. And they were inspiring. They were, yeah. And that they made you feel like family. You know, that was awesome. But, yeah. Uh, once again, though, you sort of, I was there for three years, so it's, uh, and I got better. But then we went, I went back to Kalgoorlie, back to Boulder, and uh, joined the tennis club up there, and away we went. Yeah. Uh, and did, did mum or dad play tennis at all? Was there or, any inspiration from them? No. Mum could never watch us play a match. Well, she did watch me once at Henson Park. I was playing the final of a spring tournament against a guy called Brian Bowman. And at five all on the fifth, she'd brought hot dog along, her dog. And in the middle of a long rally, Hot Dog decided to come and say hello. Oh, no. <laughs> so that was the one. She did see me play that one time, but my dad never saw me play. Oh, he did. Actually, I think he did see me one just yeah. before he died. But yeah. No, no, no parents. 
What led the family to set its roots down in, in Boulder, of all places? To live in Boulder? Yeah. I think my dad was a wood chopper. He used to chop trees and something in the bush. And I'm really not 100%. Mum was from Boulder, so mm. I guess he gravitated to Boulder mm. through her. But uh, And my other relations were in Boulder as well. Um, but no, I, I've got no really reason. I loved it up there. Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds tough. It, yeah, it sounds we remote and hot it. and dusty and, and harsh. We thought we were the rich kids because mum really looked after us. And yeah. uh, I never worried about it. We always were nicely dressed when we went mm. to school. And uh, yeah. Do you remember the first time you came down to the Big Smoke in Perth? I do. Yeah. I what put, was that like? <laughs> well, someone on Kalgoorlie said, you, you should go <laughs> play in the state championships in Perth and on grass, you know. We only had a grass front lawn, which we slept on when it was too hot. But So we caught the train down and um, we went to Kitchener Park and there were about 80 kids in the under-14 state championships, I think it was. And I looked around and they've all got their bags of rackets and everything else. And We got one racket and one tennis outfit. <laughs> And after a week, there were only two left. That was Rick and I, my brother, out of the 80 kids. And that rained, so we got on a train, went back to Kalgoorlie and played, <laughs> played the final in Boulder at Dart Street Tennis Club. And he beat me. <laughs> and you've never forgotten. But, no, it's, but yeah, no, our background was good yeah. for competitive sport. Yeah, it mm-hmm. sounds like um, so much more to get through, Rob. We need to take Go a break. This yeah. is Inspiring Stories. Rob Kildare is our special guest. Back with plenty more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing uh, the incredible story of Rob Kilderry. Rob, before we get on to your, um, your crack at the professional level, uh, of tennis, um, moving down from the Goldfields to Aquinas College. Yep. Great yep. place if you're gifted uh, as a sportsman. Great yeah, place great. to, uh, was good. Uh, to yeah. pursue that, isn't it? Um, again, w- was that a culture shock for you coming from a pretty small place out in the Goldfields down to a, a Well, the Aquinas? thing was, Tim, bell-bottom trousers weren't in in Perth. <laughs> they had college haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> and, but when we played tennis early in the term when I got down, yeah. which I went and lived in Gamaling for three months yeah. with the, on the farm with the Slaters because mum was leaving Boulder to mm-hmm. come and work in Perth. So yeah. that was part of the shift. So And my brother worked at Taylor Sports Depot. He left school so he could help mum support me at yeah. school. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the culture shift was... Yeah. But once I started playing tennis, all of a sudden I had a lot of friends because... I was good at something. Exactly. And then I was in the first 11 cricket team as well, which fantastic guys, Eddie Rigg, Damien, um, Don Martin, John McCormack, all those guys, fantastic guys. Yeah. And they made me feel the initiation into the school so much easier. Mm. Mm. Um, and at this point, you, you, your mum and dad have parted ways. That's right. And, and I understand you still to this day have no idea how your mum afforded even to send you to a choir. She should have been the Minister for Finance for the Australian <laughs> government. I've got... <laughs> No you idea. Still don't know. Yeah. I mean, mate, she just we're going to do this. We'll do it because it's it's not a. The only thing I remember is shifting about every month. I don't yeah. know if she had paid the rent or not, but I, <laughs> I turned I turned that one day after school and 
gone to Lesser Street in Wembley, so I had to walk up to Lesser Street from Jersey Street. But I think there was a house of ill repute we'd accidentally moved into, so it wasn't a good spot. But uh, you know, she ended up working at the Wembley pub. Yep. And in the meantime, I, I think I had met a lady next door, which um, in Harborne Street, in one of the shifts. Yep. And she was pretty cute, so um, <laughs> I used to hit balls over the fence and she'd pick them up. Well, I'd have to knock on the door sometime. I think my ball came over the fence. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, eventually. We used to catch the same tram and I'd, I was always too nervous to say hello. But yeah. anyway, eventually we got married. That's uh, your own version of courting, if you'll pardon the pun. I think you Rob. could call it. <laughs> I think her dad was very nervous over having me. <laughs> well, that's an amazing story in yeah. itself. So that's where you met Val. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, wow, she, she was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, I mean, she's she's been the rock, really. Yeah, like my mother was great, and mm. I mean, you you shift around the world with kids. You have three kids, and you're shifting, you know, to Canberra or Salt Lake City or Florida, wherever you go. And she's got to pick it all up as we go. Yeah. And uh, uh, she's a real trooper. Yeah. Mm. Um, as a teenager, still, you decided to uh, hit the road and um, and then drive across the dirt road, Nullarbor, uh, over to the Australian Open in 1962. I mean, we, we talked before about uh, how different the life of a professional tennis player is in 2021 compared to 1962. Yeah, the good... I mean, good, this, this just sort of highlights that point, doesn't it? You're right, Tim. I mean... When I compare, like my son became a professional player, and yeah. the the different world he was in, but mm. it's a different neighbourhood then. But yeah, driving the Volksy um, UFD eight two seven. How did she go? <laughs> she got well. There, the Volksy was the way to go in those days because they they, yeah. they didn't need water, so yeah. you could drive. And um, yeah, and I took a family with me, a lady, a husband and wife, Mrs. Pusey. They had a nun in Crow's Nest, a daughter who was a nun in Crow's Nest, so they were good company. But we took three and a half days, and I yeah. rocked up, dropped them off, then I rocked up, you now I've got to find White City, so I find White City, and I rock up there, and the car, you know, it's covered in dirt because you, there's no, a gravel road most of the way, you know, yeah. a lot of the way. And um, I, I walk up to the committee box, and I'll kill Derry from WA. What day will I be playing? And the guy goes, um, you'll be on court 12, probably in about two hours. <laughs> and I'm just... Covering. And you've literally just arrived. Yeah. And I'm just covered in, you know, I mean, <laughs> haven't had a shower for three and a half days. So. <laughs> and the, the the part there was when I w went in the change rooms, there's Rod Laver. Wow. Um, with his bag of rackets and he's obviously just warmed up. So he's got a new set of clothes to put on for his match and... And I got one set of clothes, and I got the slashing racket and the spalling racket. Didn't even have two, two rackets the same. I wouldn't have known what the sting, string tension was. Anyway, so off I went. I think we won doubles eight six in the fifth. I played with Jim Moore, who later became Wimbledon referee. Right. And I think we lost to Stolly and Emerson next round. But um, and then single started, and I won. Or well, when I went to the billet, uh, eventually got there. I, did. I don't know if I told you that story, but. Did I tell you? I was after the match. This is your first match that afternoon? Yeah, after yeah. the doubles. I said to John Newcomb, I said, Do you know where Mossman is? He said, Yeah, follow me. And he took off like a bat out of hell, you know. And he had a green vault, and I had the pink one. And off I went, and I couldn't keep up with him. And I've hit a car on Sydney Harbour Bridge. Oh, no. So it's a pretty good day to start, you know. <laughs> and I don't know what, I must have been very naughty, but I didn't pull up, and the guy was okay. chasing me, and all that sort of rubbish. But anyway. Historical charges, they call that, don't they? 
But anyway, um, I think the statute eventually of limitations got, might apply now. <laughs> I eventually got to Mosman, and then Nobby Clark was a lovely guy. He said, "I'll give you ten quid every time you win a match." You know, so that's pretty inspiring. And I won a few matches, and then I was in the last sixteen. But yeah, that was. But that trip over the better, better top ten player in the world along the way. Yeah, Bora Jovanovic. Used to say, you know, Russia's got the bomb, but Yugoslavia's got Boro. So mm. that was, uh, but he was a clay caller, in fairness to him. Yeah. And I was, I guess I was okay on grass, but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, of course, after all that, you've got to pack up the Volkswagen and head back? No, I got um, asked to be in the elite squad in Melbourne under Harry Hopman. Right. So instead of going back that way, I went to Melbourne and I was in Hoppy's squad. And then I think I hurt my knee at one stage, but Hoppy, yeah, one he's a great man, but he came up one day and he said, uh, you know, your backhand's not that great. I think your serve needs a lot of work. You might be better to get in your Volkswagen and head back to Perth. Right. But that was refreshing because he got me a job in the fire brigade, which <laughs> I didn't enjoy. <laughs> Flying around, you know, in a, in a truck with water splashing all over you. But... Um, it was very hard to practice and, yeah. and make a living, you know, yeah. very difficult. Yeah. Because there was no money at all. Yeah. Zero. So at what point did you think about coaching? Well, when I go back to Perth, I, I'm, like, I didn't pass my leaving at Aquinas College. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did, had no qualifications, really. So I thought, maybe I'll coach. Mm. So I went and coached, I think, for Fremantle Tennis Club for a little while. But in those days, Tim, if you coached, you were deemed to be a professional. So that's 1962, last 16 the Australian retirement. Done. Go out in the high. Done. Yeah. So you beat the big Yugoslav. That's it. You're done. And then you and I think I then went to Kings Park as coach, and, mm-hmm. which wasn't great. But then I ended up at Scarborough Tennis Club, and I had 580 kids a week there. Wow. With 13 coaches on 13 courts, and. I was just always trying to learn more about how to teach properly because I always felt I missed out on being getting that um, for myself. And I think my whole life I've always, I look at something and I think maybe you could do this, that or the other. Mm. But that's just been me. Mm. But you've got to have a passion for whatever you do. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're wasting your time. Yeah. And you're still coaching now, so you obviously yep. love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm still coaching. <laughs> do you still get a, a buzz? Out of out of coaching and and seeing talent blossom in yeah well it's not in the kids out in the I don't court. want to sound egotistical but now it takes about thirty seconds to identify a problem and probably yeah. another minute to solve it yeah subject to practice so I've got to that point now where it's so easy you know and I've got a lot of options but my main thing I say when I coach anyone if I was going to coach you I'd my opening statement would be don't believe a thing I tell you I might be wrong but you prove <laughs> it right or wrong. And that way, it opens the door for kids. Oh, I don't feel comfortable, or, or you know, you might have a parent there that, you know, a young coach might say, "Do this." Yeah. Now, if it doesn't work, the poor guy then is stuck with, what's next? But when you open it up, so it's a two-way situation. Mm. And then, I might say, well, the best coach you'll ever get in your life is yourself, as long as you take the information in, mm. and you'll you'll tell me how you feel, mm. and, and we work together. Um, you'll find most ex-players in the boxes, as a rule, probably aren't the guys that uh, developed the kid in the first yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. Now, you have over the years coached some fascinating people from all walks of life. 
Um, just before we get to the break, uh, I'm going to fast forward. I'm going to get you to, to tell us about um, one particular person <laughs> you coached. You know what I'm. You know what I'm getting to, don't you? A, oh, a, a, yeah, a, I know what you're getting to. A, a That's prostitute right. who ended up causing some serious problems for the, yeah, that was Mandy, for the government Ma- in the UK. Yeah, like, Mandy Rice Davies. I know there's probably a massive backstory to, to all of this, but who was it? How did it come about? Just give us the... Well, I was having, I was invited to dinner. Give us the short at, um, version. The guy, I worked for Arnold Palmer, and Arnold signed the club, sold the club to a guy called Joe Lewis, a very wealthy guy. Yeah. And he invited me over for dinner because I was at... at in Orlando on my own at the time. And we all sat down around the dinner table and Joe's now we'll all introduce ourselves. You know, I said, I'm Joe and I'm Bill and I'm Tom. And, I, and the lady next to me says, Mandy, Mandy Rice Davies. And I, I knew about Mandy Rice Davies. You know, I'd read about her. Yeah. And she's the most famous prostitute with Christine Keeler uh, in the world, you know, because they bought the Perfumo government down in, in Great Britain. But she was an absolutely gorgeous girl. And uh, uh, I just I coached. <laughs> I took her for lessons, and she was gorgeous. She died yeah. last year, sadly. Yeah, know. right. But yeah, you know, <laughs> you, As you, you can't judge people. Yeah, you just meet them and say, "Wow, what a nice person!" Mm. And what do you do? Well, I'm a prostitute. Yeah, who, who, yeah, it doesn't matter, does it? No. Once you're out in the court, you just two people have a lot of interesting characters there. I <laughs> I'm going to get you to do some more serious name dropping after the break because. Uh, I, I said before, it's not an overstatement to say you've worked with some of the, the biggest uh, names in world sport, and uh, I'm going to get you to uh, to live up to that. You know, Bjorn Borg, um, Rod Laver, Billie Jean King, Monica Sellis, the list goes on. We'll get into that right after no, we take a break. Rob Kildare is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Rob Kildare is our special guest uh, who is still coaching tennis. Um, <laughs> Rob, can I say how old you are? I'm 80 on D-Day. There you go. On D-Day. 6th of June, 1941. <laughs> what, what a day. Um I mentioned before that uh, you have worked with some of the biggest names, not just in tennis, but in, in world sports. So I'm going to get you to, to name drop now. Don't That's be humble. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, Arnold Palmer, for instance. Yeah, Arnold. Uh, Mark McCormack. Yep. Um, for those who don't know Mark McCormack, you know, he, as, a, no, as a marketer of professional sport, he's without peer, really, isn't he? Yeah, I was Andre lucky Agassi, last Bjorn night, Tim. I, yeah, I was lucky last night. I was watching a little. I don't know if you call it sitcom or podcast. I don't know what they call them, but Arnold was on Arnold Palmer, yeah. and it was on his life as a golfer. Yeah, and I worked for Arnold and Mark, and Winnie Palmer was gorgeous. His wife, she really looked after my family, and uh, um, and in fact, my son's got Arnold's golf club, which he gave to him. But and it had just the end of his life. You know, he was sitting in a chair and stuff. It was very sad. But no, Mark um, Mark McCormack. His first three clients were Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, uh, Jack Nicholas. Who's the other one? I'll oh, think about it. Gary Player. That was Mark. Mm. So I said, "Well, you, you did very well to get those." He said, "It was just luck." You know, I got they were my first three clients. Mm. Then he jumped onto the Pope and Twiggy. And he got <laughs> John Claude Keeley, the downhill skier. But Mark would have four television sets in his media yeah. room, no sound on, 
He's making money on baseball, basketball, tennis, and golf. Yeah. And he's just watching, you know, sitting there watching. But he is just an incredible guy. In how, fact, how did your worlds intersect? I'll tell you, Tim, I was in Spain coaching Jenny Byrne from WA, who was our top girl. And Jenny lost doubles final to Betsy and Kathy Jordan, I think it was. And Mark came up and introduced himself. And he said, I'm coming back to Perth for the America's Cup. He was involved there somewhere. In right. 86, maybe. He said, I'll look you up. There's Actually, it's an interesting story because in 1979, Paul was six and he wasn't feeling very well. So I took him to the entertainment centre to watch Borg and Macro pack practice. Right. Not feeling very well today. He can't come to school, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And he's sitting there, with the, he's had his racket and his tennis clothes. And Bjorn says, hey, come and have a hit. So Bjorn hit with Paul in 1979, right? Wow. And then eventually Paul became Bjorn's hitting partner at Nick Bollettieri Tennis Academy. Yeah. But getting Which is, back, a, a, you know, an incredible story in itself. But yeah. Yeah, it was a great. But yeah. Mark McCormack, uh, Paul beat Krychek, I think, who just won Wimbledon. Yeah. And Paul beat him in the Lipton tournament. And I was in Perth. And I get a phone call. Uh, Rob, it's Mark. Oh, he actually called himself Lewis. I, I nicknamed him Lewis because there was a character in a book called Lewis who was really a lovely fellow. And Betsy said, "I'm gonna, that's Betsy Nagelson was his wife. She said, I'm going to call him Lewis. And after a couple of weeks, she said, ah, I won't tell you what she said, but <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to still call him Lewis anyway. Anyway, Lewis rang me and uh, he said, do you want the tennis news or the financial news? I said, Oh, what's the tennis news? He said, well, Paul just beat Krychek. Wow. So, and what's the financial news? He said, oh, I've got him 15, 15, 15. I said, what's that mean? He said, it's $45,000 a year for three years, feeler, whatever. Mm. Well, back in the early 90s, that was quite a lot of money for us, Mm. for Paul. And he'd already, when we went to Florida, he, uh, I probably told, I I think I mentioned he offered me a job at the Parmelia. When he came, I'll go back. Sorry, I went. When he came to Perth for the America's Cup, yep, he rang me for a lesson. I said okay, so I gave him a lesson. He said, "Come back to the Palmilla house, then we'll have a drink." So we went back to the Palmilla, and he said, "How would you like a job working for Arnold and myself at Isleworth in Florida?" I was wow, you know, only the only applicant for the job, I think. Yeah. But anyway, doing, doing what exactly? Sorry, doing what? Coaching. Just yeah. coaching tennis? Head of coaching at his yeah. club. Okay. And I said, well, I he said, well, I said, what's the salary? He said, you write out your perfect scenario. <laughs> so I said, well, I want a day to do this. So I went home. I said, well, I'm getting, I got $12,000 guarantee a year in ACT before that, yeah. plus lessons. So I put 50000 US, uh, less plus lessons, clothing, tennis balls, car, and Paul free tuition at Nick Bollettieri's Tennis Academy. Yeah. I wrote it all out, gave it to Mark. All he did is put in, thanks, I'll be in touch. Rang me two weeks later, all set. Wow. That was it, all set. And, and how did how did Val and the kids take that well, news? Well, a bit, you know, we didn't know. The kids were at school and you know, the girls were at school. And oh, Hang on, Jane had left, I think. Yeah, Georgia was still, maybe it's, no, I think they'd both left. Hmm. Georgia was doing interior design. Um, yeah, so I went ahead with Paul and we had three months before they came over. Mm. So I'd drive Paul up to Bollettieri's each Monday morning. And, and just to, to pause there for a moment, for people yeah. who don't 
sort of know tennis very well. I yeah. mean, Nick Bolletieri's it's the tennis academy in the world at that time, isn't it? Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy would win tennis. It was a champion would factory, the, wasn't would it? Would win Davis Cup, Fed mm. Cup, and any other cup you want to have. Mm. Because you're talking Agassi, Curia, Salas, Mioli won the French Open, Jimmy mm-hmm. Arias, Saguso, Crickstein, mm. uh, Kornikova, Sharapa. You go through it. Uh, Phenomenal. There's no one else. Max Murney. And so that was where Paul, and when, when I took Paul up there the first day, of course we were a bit nervous, you know, walked in. And Nick, hey buddy, you know, how are you? Yeah, 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 you know. In fact, when I walked in, Nick was sun, he had this sundial on his chest lying on the ground, which he did every morning, <laughs> getting a suntan. <laughs> hey buddy, you know, and uh, he said, hey Paul, he said, you go, that court there, you practice on. And Paul looks over and there's Agassi and Korea, they're all there. Yep. And Paul's like, God, you know, he's 14. Yeah. And out he goes. And he'd, knew, he'd known Jim before, but he hadn't met the others. Yeah. And then eventually become Andre's hitting partner on the tour. And then after that, he hit with Bjorn every day. That's a good one for your people listening. I once said to Bjorn, when you played, you never got upset. You'd miss a shot and you just walk. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. I said, how come? He said, I hit so many balls in practice, maybe a week before I miss again. <laughs> good good lesson, you know. He was ice cool, wasn't he? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, I was a consultant to the academy. Yeah. And Nick was the most famous coach around. Mm. Yeah. What a what an environment for Paul to be thrust into. That's right, Tim. I mean, you, his craft. you couldn't imagine. I mean, I still, to this day, I think, it, you know, we were living right next to Disney World. You know, I mean, Paul would come home weekends, bring his mates, go to free tickets for Disney because I coach half the staff, they're the vice presidents and everything yeah. else. And the networking was incredible. We yeah. had free meals at the Hard Rock Cafe because he was another, Robert Earl was, I mean, no, just mm. unbelievable. Mm. Tell us about some of the other big names you work with, any sort of standout people and, and, and moments with them. I mean, the likes of Billie Jean King, Pete well, Sampras, I only, Chris Evert. Uh, Billie Jean... I coached Betsy Nagelson yeah. and Billie Jean would come in to practice with Betsy and um, a lot of people would, like Jim Curry would often drive up from St Petersburg to Orlando to practice with Paul of a weekend, something like that. Not every weekend, but just on the odd occasion. Um, you know, I, I spent some time with Alicia Mollick, who's mm-hmm. a terrific girl, great worker. Uh, two of my favourite uh, players were Mary Sawyer from WA, got the semi-final the Australian, and Chris Johnston, who did really well on the ATP tour, yep. and they're from Perth. And then I coached the state squads in Perth when we won what they call the Linton Cup and, and also the Wilson Cup. And Rob Casey, Phil Safoulis, names you'll know, uh, Ross Oliveri, Phil Chamberlain, and the girls was Liz Smiley and Robin Lamb, who was, yeah, and Sue Johnston. Great people, yep. yeah. So it's 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 everywhere, mate. <laughs> Amazing. You, you, you you're putting a book together, aren't you? It's going to be long, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you ever <laughs> finish though, Tim. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. I mean, you can't imagine that all that happened in your life, you know. Yeah. And now we've got great people at Tennis West. Yep, absolutely. Uh, plenty more to get through, Rob, but we need to take another break. Oh, and we'll please. come back with more of your story right after this. 
You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Rob Kildary. Uh, Rob, you've spoken a bit about your time in, in Florida. Um, you know, obviously you've got the you've got the family there. Paul's obviously a very gifted player. Uh, he's one of three kids. Mm-hmm. How tough was it keeping the family unit, you know, together? Yeah, that's as a great you, question. As your adventures took you from place to place. Yeah, that's a great question because we, I went ahead with Paul. Mm. Then the girls followed with Val, or Georgia didn't initially, but we were worried about their education, where they're going to work, the whole thing. But when they got to Orlando, the girls, they, they had a great life because, you know, I think Georgia spent a lot of time at Costco getting all the bargains. <laughs> I coached the vice president at Disney, so any friends come in, free tickets, basketball, free tickets, you name it. What a life. They could just, I mean, people would, I mean, Don Pike came in, Peter Mann, Tony Evans, and yeah. in fact, um, even my son-in-law, David Cully's parents came to LA, and Arnold had 36 Cadillac franchises, so wow. there's a car at the airport, <laughs> drive all over America, cost nothing. Yeah. You know? So what I'm saying, it's the Perks. networking. Perks and everywhere. the girls, I mean, the girls are fantastic, and all those, like the golfers, I think, like Mark O'Meara, whoever that, they all embraced our kids. Yeah. Yeah, they're real family people. And um, and Winnie Palmer was fantastic for Val and the girls. And it was just mm. a great, you know, uh, they're not on a competitive edge when they're at the club. They're on holidays. Like Christmas Day, I would organise golf, uh, tennis with, say, Payne Stewart, Mark O'Meara and their families. And, and we would... Have a go- I mean, it was just like Ian Baker Finch used to come in, Craig Parry, John Daly, yeah. <laughs> but um, it was just family. It was like family. Mm. And, uh, yeah, no, Mark McCormack, though, was the key to everything. You can't underestimate the, the significance, uh, the, the role he's played in your oh, yeah, in your I life mean, and your career. But, but And genuine because, you know, the only thing I did feel, Tim, when I went over there, I felt a bit of pressure that I think I might have to coach Betsy, you know, <laughs> because I know what Mark's like, you know, and sure as eggs, within a week or two, uh, maybe you could give Betsy a hit, you yeah. know, and then Bets was ranked 140 in the world, and I said, Bets, what's your, you know, what's your ambition? She I want to be ranked below my age, and I think she was about 29 or 30, and she was ranked 140, and then we got her to 28 in the world, and she beat Laurie McNeil a couple of times, and she beat Arantxa Sanchez, really good players. Yeah. And then when I left Florida, I went home. Val had got a little bit of a problem with, um, well, breast cancer, and mm. she got over that. But when we got home, Christmas check, $1,500 for services rendered from Mark every Christmas. So I used to send him a case of Cape Lewin Estate. Oh, very nice. Wine, yeah, but the price kept going up, and this year was six hundred. So I'm going to end up behind here, you know. <laughs> but Mark was incredible, like with Paul, you know. I mean, I mean, he whatever was on, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think Whitney Houston was singing it down at Lewin, and I rang Mark. I said, 
I said, um, oh, it's sold out. Any chance of getting a ticket? How many do you want? <laughs> you know, it's like at six, even in Perth, you know. Yeah. Like, so that's – he made life easy for us and he was very caring about the girls and uh, and Paul and us. Yeah, he, he just wasn't about yeah. – he wasn't making any money out of us. Yeah. Uh, and, As you reflect on all the – incredible people that you've worked with or got to hang out with, mm. play golf, play tennis with. Um, I mean, as, as as characters, who were the most sort of memorable? I mean, Bjorn Borg, Andre Agassi, these are just some well, of the Bjorn, biggest names. Bjorn was and, just the nicest person. Yeah. In fact, we I ran into Bjorn at Ponte Vedra. Paul was playing a tournament then. And Paul at that stage was sort of beating Bjorn in practice because mm. Bjorn was older. And Bjorn said, Paul, you want to hit some? And Paul says, yeah, that'd be great. He said, there's a court over here. He says, no, 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 there's a clay court down the back. <laughs> he took down, he whipped poor Paul and went again. <laughs> but it was that fun sort of, and when they initially started practice, um, Paul's pretty relaxed sort of guy. He'd be looking around and be on it, put your head down, you know, concentrate, you know. And they'd play like best of seven sets, which would be start at love 30, start at 15, 40, start at 40, love, start at... Like those are the sort of service games. Yeah. And then the banter was great because Paul's Bjorn would say, Well, we'll start at thirty all mate, you'll never be this is my favourite. You know, and it was a great great sort of Yeah, had a good relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really, really good. Yeah. And uh, but uh No, there's so many of them and Nick Boliteri was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. In fact I got him a he rang me one time, he said, Rob, the boys wanna go to the wave pool at Disney World. Can you help us? So I rang my mate, Bob Small, he's the vice president. I said, Bob, can you get Nick in to the wave pool with Andre Agassi and whatever? And he'd always say, watch me. And two minutes later, he went, all set, you know. So we go over there. And I said, yeah, but you don't have any people at Disney World. I said, they didn't want to be signing autographs. They just want to go and have a surf and get out. You know? Yeah. I said, how would you organise that? He said, clothes for repairs. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in 2019, you received a, an OAM for your services to tennis. What did that mean to you? Well, uh, very humbling. I mean, I'm just, I'm from Boulder, mate. Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, life, you go through life and you do the best you can, you know. And I was there with a lot of... Um, Terrific people. I mean, you look at the people in medicine and all that and mm. and you think, am I worth it? But they gave it to me and I was quite happy to receive it. It was mm. really nice. You know, yeah. A great honour. You've said before that tennis is a, a vehicle for life. For us, yeah. for sure. I, I, never a truer word spoken in your uh, case. We, I think, Tim, what we had, I mean, a lot of the time I was just trying to get a job to make a living to support my family. Yep. So the only job I ever had that supported my family is when I went to Florida. Because at Scarborough, I worked on 580 kids a week. But I also had 13 coaches to pay. So the money, and I gave a lot of, like I coached the state squads for six, seven years on, for free. And that included physical training in the mornings and stuff like that. Yeah. So that wasn't money coming in, you know. So it wasn't easy, you know. Yeah. And you, you've got to buy a house and you've got kids at school and... Yeah, it is. But it was, I mean, it was great. I yeah. Mean, we had, we've had a great family life. Mm. Like everything we've done is family. Mm. Even now, like Paul's rung me nearly every day since he was 14. Every day. Mm. 
now he's I think he's about 47, 48. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in that range. But it's all about family. You'll be yeah. the same. You know, it's, uh, that's the most important thing. And the yeah. rest is just, you know, on the top. When you're coaching at that elite, elite level, though. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, you're in that role where you've got to make an already outstanding player even more outstanding. Easy. Where do you get your, where do you take your cues from? I take, uh, from my coaching life... In fact, I should. I, I was writing a book once. To do everything wrong, you'd be eighty percent right. But it was a <laughs> it was an attack on coaching methods, which is like now I would say early backswing equals a late forward swing. Punch your volleys doesn't mean a damn thing. Mm. Watch your feet means nothing. You know all that stuff, that semantics. But now, if a, if a technique's good, you've got to learn to hit the ball hard. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to be courageous. And you can be a great competitor. Mm. And when the person looks around, you're going to serve at them. You look down, they're, they're ready to go. You know, it's, it's body language. And I mean, I maybe some players, you know, wouldn't drive from Perth to Kalgoorlie to play a tennis match. They'd have to have a week's rest. Yeah. You know, and you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> so it's a different world. So you do something every day you don't want to do. Like I run every day of my life, right? Every day. I hate it. I hate it. But uh, you've got to do, and when you do something every day that you don't like, you feel great after it. You you feel you've achieved something. And and I've run already this morning, and I coached at eight o'clock after that. You know, but you've got to keep keep going. Yeah. So put yourself through a bit of pain every day. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe I'll pick you up in the morning. (laughs) No thanks. Um, in terms of your, your heroes, who is who is your hero, Rob? Well, the nicest person I've ever met in tennis yeah. uh, is John Fitzgerald. Yeah. And I think he's just such a wonderful guy, a great friend. Um, in terms of playing, um, I, I would say Rod Laver, even t- because Rod played every shot. I mean, it's different these days. I mean... Um, I admire Monica Sellers greatly because I saw her from 11 years of age. Yeah. Start hitting at 7.30 in the morning, took a mate of mine around, showed him around, come back at quarter to 12 and she's just wrapping up, you know. So I admire that sort of thing. Um, I like Andre because he was really good to Paul and he, like, he had his little moments where he wasn't happy but, um, but deep down... Uh, Nick Bolletieri I admire a lot because a lot of people used to criticise him, but he just kept trucking along. Mm. And uh, as I say, the Bolletieri Academy was like another country. Mm. You know, and, um, they played teams tennis there, which was fantastic. And Martina would play. Paul would play against Martina in mixed doubles, whatever it was, but it was exciting. Mm. So, um, yeah, I guess that's probably the people. You yeah. Know, from Probably Nick's my favourite. Yeah. Although Chet Murphy is another one, um, who uh, great coach. I I travelled all over the world and I chased up Vic Sacious, Pancho Segura, all the people that were recognised as having great co- being mm. great coaches. So. Yeah. We could chat for hours. Yeah, right? yeah, we can. But you, I, you mentioned doing something that causes you pain every day. Get cracking on that book. Don't go for your run. Write your book. 
write your book. All right. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's too much to talk about in one hour. I you need to put, put those it on stories paper. in yeah. we talked about before we came on. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Rob Kildare, it's been fascinating hearing all about your life and adventures. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. You've been listening to another episode of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.